Alrighty, everyone, welcome back. As always, it is myself, Tavis Killian, bringing you another episode of Monday Madness today on November the 9th. And man, this year is flying by. Just got through the election, and honestly, <laughs> better better reception than I imagined. I thought, whichever way it went, surely there would be a lot more upset people, but it seems there's a, a little bit more dignity and grace than I was giving the United States credit for. So hopefully that continues, even in these coming weeks, where I'm sure things will get very tense between both sides of the aisle. But hey, I haven't seen any burning cars in my neighborhood, so I think it's a damn good day. Anywho, you didn't come here to listen to me talk about election results, although, spoiler alert, I won't get into it, you came here specifically for oil and gas news, and as always, we will jump immediately into those metrics that we love so dearly. So first of all, WTI, 41.22 right now. Folks, this is wild. So I woke up in the middle of the night, well, yeah, I had to have that late night pee, and when I went to the restroom and checked my phone, pricing was launching up. At about noon on Sunday afternoon, prices were $37.70-ish, but early, early this morning, they blew up. We might see this climb higher and higher throughout the day, but don't get too bullish in such a short time span. In the past week, we have seen huge price swings, but a trend line shows steady increase from that low of $36 at the end of last month. As for the rig count, the U.S. rig count is up 4 rigs for a nice round 300 rigs total. Still down 517 on the year, but that gap is slowly being closed. And I would really like to emphasize how slowly it's being closed. Sometimes we get that odd 9 or 13 edition rig week, but let's do a quick little exercise. We will assume the rig count in the U.S. goes up 4 every week moving forward. I'd say that's pretty good, pretty conservative, and hey, we saw it this week. And if we were to get back to where we were one year ago today. Remember, we're down 517, so that means we would have been at 817. From now, at four rigs a week, we would be back to where we sat one year ago today in about two and a half years. So yes, progress, but still very slow. And like I mentioned, it's progress in the right direction. As for the inventories, last week on Monday Madness, we watched the EIA and API agree on inventory numbers, but it was a small build. Today, I will announce a similar trend. The API reported on the week ending on the 3rd that there was an 8 million barrel draw from the inventories. Let's go. What did the EIA have to say? Well, the report was released for the week ending on the 30th of October, but it also reported an 8 million barrel drawdown. Let's go, ladies and gentlemen. This is fantastic. This is the largest number since mid-September, and again, things are looking good for the near future. So hopefully we can finish out this year strong, but that's what we've got for the metrics. I'd like to jump into the stories now. So like I said, I'm going to talk about the election very briefly. I know you're sick of it by now, but just give me a couple of minutes. The election process is now winding down, and you likely have your feelings about the whole situation, as I have mine, and everyone has their own, but what about the super majors? How do they feel about Biden being elected? Well, when Biden takes office, he would quite possibly halt the drilling in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge and shut down the Dakota Access Pipeline. He has also expressed interest in eliminating greenhouse gases from the power sector by 2035 and talked about limiting new fracking on areas under the watch of the BLM. Now, the first thing you might think is, well, super majors are quaking in their boots, right? Well, the sentiment at the moment is not entirely negative. Marathon CEO Lee Tillman said, quote, We are realistic that with a Biden win, doing business on BLM land will become more difficult. Under a new administration, there will be regulations that will have to be addressed. States like New Mexico have a vested interest in having a viable oil and gas industry, end quote. 
So, as Mr. Tillman says, more difficult, which is anything but impossible. But why did he bring up New Mexico? Well, federal land in New Mexico makes up a large portion of the oil and gas activity in the Permian Basin that also stretches into Texas. If Biden makes it more difficult for companies to extract mineral resources on these federal lands, states like New Mexico may become upset because they can't get their fair share of that sweet, sweet severance tax. Pioneer Natural Resources CEO Scott Sheffield said similar things about the New Mexico side of the Permian, and also extended his worries to the Gulf of Mexico, where offshore drilling is likely to take a large hit as well. But what of the midstream companies? Well, in steps Marshall McCree, the CEO of Energy Transfer. He says that Biden would likely make it much harder to get permits for new projects, meaning that those who already have extensive networks and access to major basins stand to gain. Fortunately for Energy Transfer, they are one of those latter companies that seems to have a hand in most of the major U.S. basins. And lastly, I'd like to mention players involved in the renewable sector. Michael Weber, Chief Science and Technology Officer for NGSA, which is the French Unity giant that develops wind and solar projects in the U.S., well, the way he sees it, renewables were projected to grow regardless of the winning candidate, and he expects the U.S. to remain a growth market for renewables. So it looks like renewables are excited, those involved in conventional oil and gas... Well, EMP and midstream sectors know that they'll likely have their battles, but no one is really considering the aspect of pricing. I mean, if a lot of this gets shut down, perhaps WTI will sell at a premium because it becomes so rare, thanks to the limited drilling, limited permit access, and limited production we would see under the administration of Joe Biden. But again, time will tell. We will see how this goes. So, keeping on that subject of renewables, our next story brings us to the UK. Now, the UK is a great location for wind energy. So, of course, they decided to take advantage of the wind energy that has been sweeping through their skies for quite some time. In 2019, wind contributed 20% to the energy generation, which is truly impressive. Recently, however, the wind has not been performing as well as the people had hoped. Even though the UK had recently set a record for wind power meeting demand, they are now in the midst of a supply struggle. The National Grid ESO issued an electricity margin notice in the middle of last week saying, quote, This is a routine signal that we send to the market to indicate that we'd like a larger cushion of spare capacity. End quote. So while they are not yet in the red, they do have fears that demand peaks may outpace the amount of electricity being generated on the electric grid, largely in thanks to decreased wind energy generation. This spurs the question of intermittency. As we all know, wind doesn't always blow, sun doesn't always shine, and some bodies of water don't always flow. When renewable technologies have an ample source of power generation, you know, like the sun or the wind, they truly excel. But sometimes things get cloudy or winds calm down when electricity demand is still high. The most responsible solution would be to continue to invest and develop battery technology so more energy could be stored when demand is outpaced by generation like we're seeing in the UK today. This is especially true in the sense of the UK because Boris Johnson said in October that he plans to power every home in the UK with wind energy by 2030, 10 years from now. Now, I said that was the most responsible decision. The most logical, however, would be making use of natural gas. Remember when I said wind energy made up 20% of power generation last year? Well, the largest generator of power at 40% was natural gas. The infrastructure is already there, the supply is definitely there, make use of natural gas. It's something that is already incorporated into your portfolio for crying out loud. Offshore wind generation only meets 10% of UK electricity demand today, and instead of burning this abundant natural resource, they ask the market to sell them energy. 
I know I have a clear bias as this is the rare Petro podcast, but it seems silly to me from the outside looking in. Very similar to the situation in California, if you think about it. When forest fires destroy infrastructure or demand for energy is too high, they go straight to asking their neighbors. Between 2013 and 2017, California imported an average of 77 million megawatt hours per year. The next highest was Virginia, who couldn't even reach half of that. While I think it's great that countries are pushing for more renewables, sometimes it seems like they go about it in all the wrong ways, so hey, good luck to the UK. I think it's great that they already have such a successful wind portfolio. But 10 years from now, that's not that long, and at 10% of the need currently, I'm, I'm skeptical, but I'd like to be proven wrong. Lastly, I'd like to talk about the next frontier. What? No, not space. Somalia. Back in the 1980s, explorations unveiled functioning hydrocarbon systems, but anyone in the country was essentially forced to abandon their efforts of lifting oil thanks to a civil war. So, fast forward <laughs> up until now, and there's been recent completion of two 2D seismic surveys over 120,000 square kilometers of offshore territory. While security will definitely be of concern to potential investors, both surveys were completed without a single incident. Furthermore, the federal government has enacted the Resource Revenue Sharing Agreement between federal states, which ensures an equitable sharing of revenues from natural resources with all the citizens. So I love a story like this. People gain access to resources that not only bring them all revenue, but you increase the quality of life for those in the region by addressing their energy needs, especially, especially when the local government plans to disperse the generated wealth, because that is something that we have seen in the past. If it's not corruption on the side of the operator, then it can easily be corruption on the side of the local government, which really soaks up all of that revenue. So good on Somalia for coming up with legislation to distribute it to the people. I mean, think real quick about the other offshore fields that have been successfully developed like Jubilee in Ghana, Rokuma in Tanzania, Mozambique, Lake Albert in Uganda, Leviathan in Israel. I mean, I tell you that I am excited for this, and I hope the geology in the region supports healthy mineral extraction for many years to come. But ladies and gentlemen, that is all I have for you this week. If you feel like you didn't get enough of a fix, go back to the old Monday Madness episodes. I mean, I release one every week, and Information doesn't age that quickly, so go back, listen to those. Also, Kevin writes fantastic periodicals, and we do a podcast version of that as well. And make sure to subscribe, because we've got another episode of The Basin Breakdown coming up, and you won't want to miss that. So, thanks again for joining me, and until we see you next time, take care, everybody. <laughs>